Welcome to the Chasing Presence podcast, co-hosted by Santi and Mike. This is a space where we share our insights for how to live a more spiritually aligned life. Join us on our journey to expand consciousness, live with purpose, and awaken to our true nature. Today, we are joined by Rachel Apple. Rachel is the founder of Namaha Wellness, where she practices acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. She is also the founder of Boulder Meditation Center, where she teaches Vedic meditation. Rachel's passion for traditional Chinese medicine and Vedic meditation started when she was dealing with burnout, anxiety, and way too many health issues for a 25-year-old. She started receiving acupuncture, taking Chinese herbs, and practicing Vedic meditation, and everything changed. She suddenly had more energy, clarity, and less anxiety. The significant transformation she felt from these practices inspired her to become an acupuncturist, herbalist, and Vedic meditation teacher so that she could help her community to uncover their highest potential and to understand what it means to feel well. When not working with her patients and students, she loves spending time in nature and relaxing at her mountain A-frame in Boulder, Colorado. Rachel, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So good to be here. I'm very excited to have you on. Can you start by telling us what exactly led to this burnout that you were experiencing in your mid-20s? Can you provide a little bit more insight into that chapter of your life? Yes, I can. So, you know, I think it began probably when I was having a bit too much fun in college, as we were <laughs> chatting about briefly, um, you know, just partying too hard and uh, not taking care of myself, not probably eating properly and uh, really burning the candle at both ends. And then moving right into post-college working for an online publication. Um, it was a small company and so really wearing too many hats to, again, really have the time to take care of myself. And I think when we're in our 20s, we can get away with a lot, right? We um, have this youth on our side. And so we don't really, we're not as aware of our limits. And so that was what was happening is I was really pushing my limits too far. And eventually I started having anxiety. I started feeling tired all the time. Um, eventually I actually got shingles, which is usually a disease that, you know, you get in your sixties or seventies and I was 25. And so this was a red flag to me of like, all right, I got to slow down. I need to pay attention to my body. I need to figure out what I'm doing wrong and what I need to bring in to really rebalance myself. Um, and so I think this happens to a lot of us, right? Is we just, we think that we are invincible and we keep going until something really stops us in our tracks. And I feel like this can be a cause for so many of our spiritual journeys to begin is not so much out of um, curiosity, but more out of necessity. And so mine was definitely one out of necessity. So would you say that when this happened out of necessity, that it was a rock bottom experience where you, you experienced a large amount of subjective suffering that led to you essentially having a realization or a complete ego death that restructured your belief system to, to inspire you to start investig investigating some of these modalities? Or was it a very gradual shift in, in which you started discovering one modality and then you started 
slowly eradicating toxic habits and then you'd find another modality. So was it, was it an all at once epiphany or was it a gradual change in mindset? It was gradual. Uh, I think it definitely, there was a rock bottom, but it definitely was gradual. Um, living in Boulder, I'm surrounded by a lot of health and wellness and spirituality. And so all of those things, you know, even starting in college when I was burning the candle at both ends, um, I went to yoga teacher training and I was teaching yoga for a while. And, Then I moved into receiving acupuncture and then I started toying with meditation a bit. And so I was definitely curious with all of these modalities and could feel that they were helping me. Um, But I don't think I was regular with them enough or making them as I wasn't dedicating myself to them enough to really see too much of an impact. And I continued to party and work myself into the ground and really um, didn't have great boundaries. So I feel like even though those habits were there, I wasn't um, I wasn't really actively dealing with my stress load. And I think so many of us can relate to that, right? Is like no matter how many juice fasts we do or cleanses or yoga retreats, it's like if we're not dealing with our daily stress load and the stress that's coming in, things aren't going to change. And so it took me finding Vedic meditation and implementing this twice daily practice that systemically starts to release layers of stress that really got me to um, start feeling better. And so it was this gradual process, but it was that rock bottom that then introduced me to Vedic meditation. And that's where I started to kind of climb out of that hole that I had dug myself in. Did any of your friends or anybody in your environment also go through something similar to this or was it the intense feelings of suffering, of anxiety that essentially led you to wanting to change it no matter what? I I think there were definitely other people in my community going through this. Um I also think I kept it to myself in a lot of ways. I shared it a lot with my partner, my husband now, and my family. Um, But I don't think I shared it as much. So maybe I wasn't as aware of other people going through what I was going through at the same level. Um, But my friend who introduced me to Vedic meditation, I think she had gone through a version of that. And that's why I felt like I could trust her. Like, okay, you've been there. You've been at rock bottom and now you seem to be doing better. And so I felt like I could really trust that. And I feel like that's why word of mouth is so powerful, right? Is like hearing our friends or our family members who have gone through something similar to us and then have found something to really help them um, is always super reassuring. So was uh, when you say you were partying a lot, is this primarily a combination of alcohol and not getting good sleep? Is that kind of the main driver? Do you think that on the side of like partying too hard that was causing you to have health issues and then combining that with the stress of school and work, that combination of those three factors is what drove you into a darker place? Yeah, I think, again, I was young and I just was saying yes to everything, to the concerts, to the parties, to the trips, to everything. I didn't really have any boundaries because I didn't need them at the time. And then all of a sudden it was like, I really wasn't feeling well. I was exhausted. I was anxious. And um, 
I think it's confusing, right? Because for so long we've been able to get away with certain things and all of a sudden it's like, you're not. And so I think I've also always been a pretty sensitive person. I've always been very aware of my body, very aware of my emotions. And so maybe that rock bottom came, bottom came earlier for me because of that. Whereas maybe some of my friends are just reaching that point now in their thirties. Um, so I think that sensitivity is a blessing and a curse, right? It can make things feel um, really overwhelming, but I think it also is what has driven me to be an acupuncturist, be a meditation teacher, because I want to use my past experiences and things that I've really overcome to be able to help other people do the same thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I also just want to make a side note. Like I, you mentioned you had a shingles infection I've actually had three shingles infections in my life. Oh no! All of them, I had my most recent one at the end of last year, and um, I get it when I get it. It's on the same spot as on my eyelid, and mm. now I have one eyelid that's like permanently more inflamed than the other one. It just never fully healed, so it's a very stressful uh, situation whenever I get an outbreak because it's just it's a terrible thing. So maybe we'll have to talk offline about I don't know some some, some things that you have done to to prevent that from recurring. Um, I'm curious when it comes when it came to your rock bottom. I know you mentioned you had anxiety. Can you explain what how that anxiety manifested, both mentally and perhaps somatically, and what that experience is like for you, uh, or was like for you, and um, what it felt like to shift out of that? Yeah, and I think before I dive into that, I just want to say like I am not a perfect human. Like I still have emotions. I still have anxiety. Like I haven't you know, completely conquered that. I think we all have things we deal with, but the difference now is that I can move through things much faster and I can, I'm very aware of what's happening. It's not really affecting me as much. It's existing there and I'm aware of it, but I am also able to live in my life and do the things I need to get done. And I move through the emotions much faster. So, um, you know, I think it's just important to kind of point that out as an acupuncturist, as a meditation teacher, like I'm still a human, right? And I think sometimes we can put meditation teachers or yoga teachers on a pedestal and think like, oh, they've got it all figured out. And sure, we definitely have done a lot of work, but I want to be relatable and just put that out there because um, I think it's really important. I think it's important to say that. But um, let's see. So in the past, my anxiety... It really showed up as overwhelm. It showed up as indecisiveness. It showed up as not wanting to leave my home, like just wanting to be a hermit and be an introvert. Um, definitely could show up as being over controlling. So more in like behaviors. And um, yeah, I think it was probably this low level buzzing that was just kind of always there. And maybe I didn't even really realize it. It just felt normal to me. But now that I have the contrast of having a relaxed nervous system and existing from a place of calm and peace most of the time, right? Of course, as I mentioned, I still have waves of things coming through, life happens, stress happens, and I have to deal with that. But it's not this constant state of fight or flight and reactivity that I used to have. And as I was telling you guys, I was walking on my old campus today and I just felt this really deep sense of calm. And I had this immense 
compassion for myself because I was just thinking back to what I must have felt like walking on that same campus years ago and how I probably was just this nervous little 20-year-old who was stuck in fight or flight mode and didn't really have any way to take care of myself and my nervous system. So I think it's um, it's really nice to reflect. And thank you for asking that question, just to look back on how far I have come. And I think probably you guys can relate to that as well as like thinking back to an old version of yourself and what that must have felt like and how how much work we've done and how much we've, we've moved through. So, um, you know, the spiritual path and journey is not always an easy one, but definitely worthwhile and super rewarding. I've found. Yeah. One thing I've noticed is after I realized that I didn't need to live life the way that I was, that was continually causing suffering. My life actually did get more emotionally difficult after that because it meant I had to confront all of the triggers that I had. And in order to move through, I had to experience with a different mindset. It's like discomfort is your body trying to fight against you because it knows what it can do to be safe because you've been safe all this time. And dis- and just because it you feel discomfort doesn't mean that it's it's actually helping you keep safe in a society where we don't need to worry about survival anymore. So it actually was very difficult after I did have my awakening to really understand what my stress triggers were and properly move through them. Uh, but it's been even, even two years, it has been a very profound journey in just seeking truth and seeking love in ways that are aligned with my values and what I want my life to be with, which has been redefined multiple times. But part of that is going through the experimentation, right? Um, And so you did Vedic meditation and you learned it from a friend who went through the initiator training or who just learned Vedic meditation. Yeah, no. So my friend uh, introduced me to her teacher. She had been practicing for about a year and then she introduced me to her teacher and I met her in person and had a conversation with her about the course and then learned pretty soon after that. And that was back in 2015. So I've now been practicing uh, coming up on my eight year anniversary or metaversary as we like to call it. (laughs) So how long did it take you from learning Vedic meditation to then eventually taking the initiator training. And during that time period, how did your ability to move through your anxiety faster and faster kind of manifest in that time period? Yeah. So let's see. I learned in 2015. I was just about to go back to school for acupuncture. So actually when I learned the meditation, Um, In the first few weeks, I was meditating and had this vision of becoming an acupuncturist and treating my friends and family. And so I do credit the meditation to really giving me that clarity and the intuition at the time to know what my next step was going to be. And so then I decided to go back to acupuncture school, which is a four-year program uh, to get a master's in Chinese medicine and a master's in acupuncture. And so pretty much from the first few months of learning meditation, I knew I wanted to be a teacher of it. But since I was in that graduate school program, I knew it was going to be some time before I could go and do the initiator training. 
Um, so I graduated in 2019 and then COVID came around, which <laughs> was another slight setback um, for initiator training. And so finally, and then they had the year where it was in Sedona, which I think you guys chatted with Baron about that. Um, and for me, I just felt that it was really important to do it in India. That was something that uh, I knew I really wanted to do. And so I waited for the 2023 class, which was this year. And so I was in India from January until April of this year, completing the three-month initiator program and graduated end of April and then have been teaching in Boulder ever since. Oh, and then the anxiety part. Sorry, <laughs> didn't get to that portion. Okay, so that was my trajectory as far as learning to become a teacher. And then as far as the question around the anxiety, um, I think it was pretty immediate, to be honest, because it was such an acute state. I find when things are really acute, when you learn the meditation, it it settles pretty quickly um, because it's like that surface layer that really needs to be wiped clean. And then you really start to do the deeper layers of work. And that can take a long time. Um, you know, we say it can take five to seven years to really get rid of the accumulated stress that's within the physiology with twice daily practice of Vedic meditation. And this is just a projection. I mean, it could be three years, it could be 10 years. And what this is really saying is that if we show up for our practice twice a day, every day, we're going to get rid of the all of the stress we've accumulated over a lifetime. So not only memories of each time we've gotten stressed, but also every scent, every sight, every taste, everything that we're experiencing through our senses in that moment as well has been stored within our physiology. And these are called premature cognitive commitments. And so these are also being released. And this is really what is taking up the space within our minds and within our bodies that's keeping us from living our fullest potential, our fullest human potential. And so this is what's so amazing about Vedic meditation and why it is different than other styles of meditation is it is systemically getting rid of this stress. Um, because we're going into this super deep state of rest, it's clearing these layers of stress. And stress is really the core root for anxiety and health issues and sleep issues and all these things that we're dealing with. And this is why we see the laundry list of benefits for meditation, right? Because we're actively getting rid of the stored stress in our body. We're creating more space within our minds to activate our full mental potential. And this is why we see like memory gets better, focus, um, athletic performance, right? All of these things are so different, but it's all because we're starting to bring our brains online more and more. And so for me, I noticed this decrease in accumulated stress over time. And I think, you know, probably around my third or fourth year, I was really seeing big changes uh, all the while I was in graduate school. So it was definitely a stressful time for me. Um, so I think after I graduated and really started to create my acupuncture practice and do um, a few rounding retreats and get deeper into my meditation practice, that I really saw um, the shift. And then 
definitely when I was on the initiator training. Um, I think it for some reason I was going into this training thinking this is going to be the hardest thing I ever do. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to like have this major mental breakdown or <laughs> I don't know. I think going into three months, knowing that you're going to be meditating a lot um, can be a little scary. And I think that was the moment when I realized, oh, I've actually been doing a lot of work for a long time and that I've already cleared a lot of this accumulated stress. And so now I can just get deep into this curriculum, get deep into the knowledge and um, really just enjoy the experience. So yeah, I think just to end the thing about this practice is it's it's so subtle and it's so gradual that it almost takes looking back over a few years to realize how far we really have come um, as far as like the long-term patterns shifting. But I do think, like I said, some of those immediate benefits can really show up right away, like better sleep, less anxiety, um, you know, better focus, those types of things can be quite quick. When you practice now, are you able, do you feel that every time you sit, you're clearing away some of the stress and trauma, or do you sometimes find yourself getting distracted and pulled by thoughts and emotions and then starting to go off on kind of a distracted train of thought? Yeah. So as the stress is releasing, I mean, majority of the time, it's just going to look like superficial thoughts. We're not going to actively be seeing this trauma, this stress being removed, right? Like I'm not going to have heartbreak thoughts because I'm thinking about the boyfriend that broke up with me in high school, right? It's probably going to be me thinking about what am I having for dinner? And that can be that stress releasing. It's just coming out in this superficial to-do list thought. And so a lot of the time for most meditators, our meditations can look like thought-filled meditations where it's just to-do list thoughts or random distorted thoughts, um, or it can be a really deep experience. And at this point in my meditation journey, I would say I'm experiencing both things happening simultaneously. I'm in a deep state and I'm also having thoughts. And this is really what an advanced meditator looks like, is that it's not someone in a cave, you know, hovering above the ground, like in deep, deep meditation. It's really someone who is in a deep state and also having thoughts and also the mantra is there. It's like everything's happening at once and there's space for all of it to exist. When you're having those thoughts, is the, is the focus behind Vedic meditation to just be aware of the thoughts and let them pass? Or are you supposed to return to the mantra? Or is it okay to just get lost in the thought? What is sort of the aim when these thoughts arise? Yeah, so with Vedic meditation, and this was something I found to be quite refreshing because other meditations that I had practiced before um, felt a bit more effortful and required a bit more concentration or force to keep thoughts away. And so with Vedic meditation, that is not the case. Um, we use the mantra. So with Vedic meditation, as I think you both know, everyone receives a personalized mantra. And we use this mantra to take us into a state of transcendence and to move beyond thought. 
However, thoughts definitely are there and definitely come up because as we're releasing stress, the thoughts are going to come up and bubble up. And so when the thoughts come, we can fully be absorbed in a thought, no big deal. We just naturally go to those thoughts and we're in them. Once it occurs to us that, oh, I'm in thoughts. Oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm meditating. Right. Okay. That's when we bring the mantra back in and use it in this very faint, effortless way. And so it's never, oh no, I'm having thoughts. Shoot, I'm doing it wrong. It's not that at all. Thoughts are part of meditation. Um, you know, a thought-filled meditation versus a deep meditation, both legitimate outcomes. One is not better than the other. And so it's really just learning how to see thoughts as our friends and see mantra as our friend and that it's all good. It all can coexist. Um, but yes, once we realize we're in thoughts, that's when we come back to the mantra in a very faint, easy, and effortless way. And so I just have found it to be much gentler and much more loving experience in meditation versus, um, you know, trying to push thoughts out or get rid of them. Yeah. I like Vedic meditation because it's, it's more of a practice of letting go of a way of how you think meditation should be than anything else. It's like, it is structured in a way where it's thoughts, mantra, transcendence, repeat, but at the same time, it's not forcing you to try to get to the next phase of the meditation. It's just this, this is what you do. And it, it doesn't matter how long you spend in each state, just do this. Right. So that's why it really resonates with me because it's really a practice of not forcing yourself to do anything, but just letting the process unfold itself, which is very similar to how we should allow ourselves to be present. Right. And, and take life, uh, in, in steps in a way. So I think we've, we've talked a lot about Vedic meditation and I love Vedic meditation. I listen to Tom Knowles's podcast almost every day. It's, it's one of my favorite podcasts. It's called the Vedic worldview. Anyone please go listen to that podcast. It, it's, it is amazing, but switching over to your, uh, holistic medicine practices. I, so personally I was, I used to be a very devout atheist, Back in the day, I think, I, I, do, you, do you resonate? Did you used to be an atheist as well? No, not me. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah, I, as Santi knows, I used to be uh, a big science nerd. I still love science. Um, actually, one of the reasons why Vedic meditation resonates with me so much is because of its uh, applications with science and how it's not trying to push science away. It's more about marrying of a yin and yang of, of material and spiritual concepts. That's why I like it so much. But... I, as an atheist, as a former atheist, I was always very skeptical of Eastern medicine. And I, I know that a lot of people still are. So were there certain experiences with Eastern medicine or, or Chinese herbal medicine that you that you had that kind of redefined your way of, of how medicine works, about how to heal the body? Can you share any experience that you had that was profound? Yeah, so... Just to go back a little, um, my both of my parents are Western doctors, and so I grew up in a household of learning to think about my body, and I think this is what really contributed to me being quite aware of my body and what's happening within it. And so I was always really fascinated with the physiology and with health. Um, and then when I moved to Boulder, I learned that there's this whole other wor world of holistic health and what it means to feel well and really the whole idea of preventative medicine. And so that really piqued my interest. Um, 
this is why I got into yoga and then eventually started getting acupuncture as well. And when I had the shingles and then after shingles got post-viral chronic fatigue syndrome where I was just laid up in bed for like a month, I started getting quite regular acupuncture. And this was when I really started to feel this transformation happening. And I had been going to a lot of Western doctors for trying to figure out what was going on and they couldn't figure it out. And when I went to this acupuncturist, I just felt so much better after these treatments. It was really the only thing that was helping me to feel better. And I also felt so seen by this person, like just so recognized for what I was going through, which isn't always the case when we go to a Western doctor, right? It's usually like, here's the medication, you know, call me if you don't get better, <laughs> which is definitely serves a purpose. I mean, I, I think it is an amazing medicine as well. And it deals with acute things really well, but not so much mysterious diseases or chronic diseases. And so that was what really got me to want to go to acupuncture school was having this practitioner fully be there for me, fully listen to me, give me recommendations for outside of the treatment room. It wasn't like I was just going to this person and he was going to give me a treatment and that was it. He was really trying to teach me how to take care of myself outside of the treatment room. And so experiencing this level of care was I think just what inspired me to do the same because, um, yeah, I think it's really, it's hard to come by these days and you have to kind of seek it out. Um, but yes, I would just feel really amazing and really relaxed. And, uh, I started to move through like the brain fog and the fatigue that I was experiencing, um, after having shingles from that medicine. So I have had allergies and asthma my entire life. And I have gone to many Western doctors in an attempt to heal this. I have been given mainly Band-Aid solutions. I think Western medicine is amazing at diagnosing but not healing, right? I, I, I really wish there was a, a blend of the diagnosis of Western medicine, the healing of Eastern medicine, and the, obviously the preventative measures. So for, for someone who might be experiencing allergies and asthma or some Western – um, or some Western diagnosis that can't be healed. What is the, specifically for as allergies and asthma, what would you administer to one of your patients? So for asthma and allergies, there is a Chinese formula that I really love. It's called Jade Windscreen Formula. Uh, so that's something that I would use. Obviously, I always recommend speaking to your practitioner about these sorts of things just to make sure it's the right herbal formula for you. But what this uh, formula does is it really acts as this shield. And it's what a lot of the doctors in the hospital in China were using during COVID as this protective measure. And so you can imagine if there's this protective shield up with allergies, the allergens aren't going to get in as easily. And so that's a formula that I typically prescribe for people with allergies. Um, it really depends on the pattern and what their presentation is, but that's definitely a common one. Um, and then as far as acupuncture points go, you know, really working with the lung meridian would be where I would begin. The lung is very much in charge of allergies and um, 
again, acting as that shield for what's coming in. And so for you, you know, you could look up lung qigong or like lung breathing exercises, um, lung acupressure points, Um, obviously going to an acupuncturist regularly, especially before allergy season or when they really tend to flare going like a month or so before to start building up that lung qi um, can be really helpful. But overall, the way that I treat is that I treat each person individually um, based on what they're presenting with. I work a lot with the pulses and with balancing the pulses. And so someone might come in with allergies, but it's completely related to their stomach and maybe something they're eating. And that's really what's triggering it instead of through the lungs. So this is why it's always good to seek out your local acupuncturist and kind of see what what is out of balance for you. Um, But definitely starting with the lung is is a great place to begin. Can you explain the general premise and theory around acupuncture and what it entails? I know there's like obviously different meridians and like probably you can probably get pretty deep into the specifics, but on a more broad level, what is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of it, but just what is the general like foundation of what it, what the theory is based on and um, how it is used in order to help people, if you kind of just give more information, because I don't know too much about it. I've done, I did one acupuncture session when I was in my early twenties. I sat there on the table. She put like these needles inside different parts of me and I didn't feel anything personally. So I was like, I don't know if I want to do this again. I didn't really notice a result. I don't know if it's supposed to take multiple sessions to notice results or, or what the situation is. So I just don't know a lot about it um, and would like to just learn more. Yeah. And so typically it is something that you want to get a few sessions to really start to feel a difference, but you should feel more relaxed after a session. So if you do want to try it again, I encourage you to maybe seek out a different practitioner. Um, Happy to help you find someone in your area if that's of interest to you. But the theory behind acupuncture, so it's a 2,000-year-old medicine. There's about... I think over a thousand acupuncture points on the body, um, acupuncture or acupressure points. And each of these points are on a different meridian. So there's 14 different meridians on the body. All of them are correlated with the organs in the body. So for example, the heart meridian, it runs on the chest, down the arm. Um, They're all in different parts of the body. And so let's say I want to work with your heart meridian, then I'm going to work with the points on that meridian. And so in general, acupuncture is working with the chi or the energy flow within the body. And so it's helping to move chi from points where maybe there's more excess to points where there's more deficiency. It's really starting to balance out the chi or the energy within the body so that the body can find homeostasis and find a balance. Because the idea behind this is when the body is more in balance and more in its natural state, then it's going to be able to deal with any discomfort or any imbalances that are coming up. So let's say, you know, for example, one of the things I dealt with a lot was chronic migraines. And so I started getting regular acupuncture to deal with the chronic migraines. And a lot of the points were in my shoulders, in my my head, in my neck. 
And for me, the reason I was getting these headaches was because my muscles were so tight in my head, in my neck, and in my shoulders. And so bringing the chi flow down from my head, really relaxing the traps, relaxing the shoulders, opening those meridians allowed the blood to f- blood and the chi to flow a lot more regularly within my body and showed my body what normal should look like, right? Instead of me being kind of caught up in this imbalanced state. And it's really reminding the body how it should be functioning. And so this is why we say can take some treatments because, you know, it's taken us a while to get into the funk that we're in, right? So it's taken us a while to get there. It's going to take some time to unwind it. And I think something that is a little challenging in our society is that we are used to getting the pill that makes us feel better overnight. And we're not always willing to put in the time and show up for this healing journey that holistic medicine can take, right? Same thing with the meditation. It's like sitting twice a day. It takes work. Um, it's, it's not for the faint of heart, but I find that it is the medicine that is the most sustainable and that's going to actually deal with the root versus just putting that Band-Aid over the issue. And so I think it's it's really good for us to cultivate some patience and to uh, commit ourselves to whatever, whatever path we're choosing, whether it be acupuncture or meditation or breath work, um, to really give it a go and really give it our all because it does take some time. Um, but fully worthwhile in my opinion. Yeah. I actually went to an acupuncturist. I only did two sessions uh, mainly because I'm terrified of needles and I'm actually trying to move through that irrational fear. Uh, but I also have a lot of pain in my shoulder and back and neck. And I went to the acupuncturist for two sessions and started noticing a slight change, but it, it wasn't enough for me to continue. I guess I didn't have enough patience, which maybe is a, is a character flaw. But I guess when you're done with acupuncture, because obviously acupuncture is supposed is designed to remind your body of how to function. But obviously it's not going to cure because if, if there's a mattress you're sleeping on at home or your posture isn't as – then it's not going to cure that obviously. So I guess you know when it comes to acupuncture – generally you you recommend your patients to like figure out what they're doing at home and that this isn't just going to be the thing that that cures you of this problem or do you think if i would have kept going through the acupuncture that i would have completely healed my my neck and back pain just like you did Yeah. So I like to think of myself as a bit of an investigator. So not only am I giving my patients treatments and herbal formulas, but I ask a lot of questions and I really try to figure out what it is that they're doing in between the sessions that's contributing to these imbalances. Because um, sure, I can help someone feel better, but if, like you said, you're going home and you're sleeping on the bad mattress, then it's just going to keep happening. Um, And so I think that's a really important part of my job. And one of my favorite parts of my job is to be this investigator of like, okay, what have you done differently in the last week that brought on this symptom? And 
you know, what is, what foods can we bring in? What exercises can we bring in? What can we try a different pillow? All these things. And I find it to be extremely helpful to expedite the healing process so that I'm not fighting this uphill battle when people are coming in. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of, it needs to be both. Like the patient really needs to be invested in their healing, um, so that they're not just relying on me to make them feel better. And this was a very big part behind why I wanted to also become a Vedic meditation teacher because I felt like I could then teach my students how to do something for them. Sorry, teach my patients how to do something for themselves in between the sessions that was giving them this feeling of balance and rejuvenation um, and self-sufficiency. And it's been such a joy to start teaching my patients and seeing their healing goes so much faster now and um, for them to really be having big breakthroughs and epiphanies with their health because they're also removing this stress in their daily routine and in their daily home practice. Um, And I think that can apply to so many things, not just the meditation, but really like, what does your diet look like? What does your sleep look like? And so I make sure that my patients are taking care of themselves in between treatments so that the acupuncture and the herbs um, can work most efficiently. So basically, um, so earlier you were talking about the heart meridian. So my question was more or less, if they start to a, is this related at all? Is the work of acupuncture related to opening up the chakras in any way? Is there any sort of crossover there or overlap in ideology? And then B, have you seen shifts in patients where as a result of the work that you do with them through acupuncture, they start to have more heart-centered consciousness or they start to uh, kind of shift in terms of their baseline emotional state and their way of showing up and being in the world? Or is it more physical? Absolutely. Yes. To the consciousness portion of the question. Um, just to begin with the chakras. So chakras are more of an Ayurvedic and uh, yogic principle, um, and traditional Chinese medicine or Japanese medicine, which I practice is they're not, there is overlap, but they're different paradigms. And so within the medicine that I practice, we think of them in terms of jowls, which is J-I-A-O. So there's different jowls within the body where certain organs live, and we think more about balancing these areas. But the heart meridian does go through the area where the heart chakra is. So Theoretically, yes, there is overlap. And so if we're treating the heart meridian, the heart will open, the heart chakra will open more and become more readily available in that way. And then as far as the emotions go and the consciousness ex- consciousness expansion goes, yes, I have seen a lot of emotional release happen in my practice. I think people come to me at first for physical reasons. And then as we start to move through those, um, more emotional stuff can come up. And in Chinese medicine, we like to say that dis-ease or disease is all rooted in seven emotions. And so all of our emotional states, some of them being joy, grief, sadness, all of these things are really the root 
to all of the manifestations of disease in the body. And I like saying disease instead of disease because it's really just discomfort, right? Imbalance in the body. And so sure, we can, let's say with my migraines, right? We can treat the physical presentation of that. We can treat the migraine. And there was also a lot of anger and sadness and stress and anxiety that was really rooting that presentation. And so first we kept, we got the physical manifestation under control. And then once my nervous system was settled because I wasn't having migraines every day, I started to be able to see the emotional stuff that was more tied to it. And so I, another reason why I find it so helpful for the meditation and acupuncture to overlap is as we start meditating, there will be emotional stuff that comes up, right? We're releasing stress, we're releasing traumas from our life and triggers from our life. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable. And so it's nice for me to be able to say, hey, why don't you come in for a treatment and we can really work with that energy and move it out of the body instead of it being stagnant and stuck there. Um, I just had a, a student who went through this. She was having really dark meditations, just was having a lot of stress come up. And I said, why don't you book in for a treatment? And we did a few treatments and she was able to really process that a lot faster. So I think they work really beautifully together. Um, and you know, these are just the modalities that have worked for me. But I think if you are a meditator with whatever tradition and something big is coming up, maybe seek out some body work, right? A massage or some acupuncture or something like that, just to help it move through the body in a more fluid and flowing way. Do you do in-person visits mainly or do you also do online visits? For acupuncture? No, just for uh, treatment in general. Does anyone come to you as just a holistic practitioner for maybe like a Zoom meeting to try to diagnose their situation to see if they do need to go in, for example? So I offer GI mapping as well as Dutch hormone testing, and these are both functional medicine tests. And so this is a way that I work with patients virtually. Uh, and so we look at gut health, we look at hormones, and this is a way that I'll do virtual consultations. And then it's kind of like a way in for me to really be able to analyze someone's lifestyle and their diet and their habits and all of these things. Um, so that's one way to do that. I have done virtual holistic meetings, not as many, um, but I do enjoy that as well. And I can offer, you know, a Qigong uh, breath work or um, just some lifestyle adjustments because you would be amazed at how just the slightest tweaks sometimes in someone's lifestyle can really make such a huge difference. Um, but I do really love using my hands and being able to offer an in-person practice. And um, that was another reason why I was so attracted to becoming an acupuncturist was really having that one-on-one -on -one in person um, really special connection and to be able to use my hands in my job because before that I was sitting at a computer, you know, for the entire day. And I knew in my mind that I needed to be on my feet and to really be using my body more in my, in my day-to-day -day career. So, um, I do really enjoy that in-person quality, but it is nice to also be able to offer virtual, virtual appointments. You mentioned you were on at a 
job where you were on the computer a lot before was the like what type of work was this and how did you uh decide to transition to this work was there any were there any um self-doubt or fears involved in making that transition and change so yeah so this was the job where i was just burnt out and um it wasn't a great fit long term but it was an online mindfulness publication and i was doing a lot of different jobs. I was managing staff. I was doing social media stuff. I was helping to produce a talk show. Um, And so I felt like I wasn't really able to dive into any one thing really deeply because I was just wearing all of the hats, which was an amazing experience. It really was. I got to see the behind the scenes of so many things. And I do think it's helped me in the business side of what I do now. Um, but I just did not love staring at a computer every day. And it was interesting because I was working for this mindfulness publication and this wellness publication, but I did not feel mindful or well. And so the first step for me was really just to quit and to move beyond that job. Um, it took me about three months to realize that I wanted to become an acupuncturist. Um, and it really did take learning Vedic meditation for me to start having more energy, having more clarity, tapping back into my intuition. I felt like myself for the first time in a really long time. And I was finally able to think big picture versus just survival mode of like, how am I going to get through the day? And so, yeah. And my friend actually gave me some really good advice as I was starting to brainstorm what it was that I wanted to do next. I, I knew I wanted to work within the wellness sphere And I knew I wanted to work with my hands in person somehow. And so I was looking at some, um, like a wilderness therapy program. I was looking at Ayurveda school. And then I was looking at um, traditional Chinese medicine school. And my friend gave me the advice to either call the people who have been at these schools or to go in person and visit them and see what it feels like. Really get that feeling of, is this a good fit versus just you know, applying and hoping that it works out. And so when I went to tour my acupuncture school, I sat in on this class with my teacher, who's still a mentor for me today. And I was sitting there and just this feeling of this is it came over me and I I listened to that. And so I think, you know, if you're, if anyone who's listening is in a point in their life where they're not sure what the next step is, to um, really get out there and meet people who are doing the things that you're maybe curious about and have conversations with them or go to the school you're thinking about, like really sit in that experience to see if it's in alignment and if it feels like a good fit for you. So I have, I have one last question and then we're probably going to have to wrap things up, but it's this idea of chi. I'm not incredibly familiar with the idea of chi. So if you could just explain what it is. And also, I'm curious, how does chi um, pertain to how what, what happens when we meditate? Are we using chi when we meditate? And how, how does that contribute to our body coming back to homeostasis? So chi is energy, right? In Chinese medicine, we call it chi. In Vedic meditation, we would call it prana or life force. There's so many names for it, right? But it's all the same thing. And it is this energy that exists within everything, within ourselves, within everything in nature, 
sentient, non-sentient things. Everything has prana or chi or life force. And it can get stuck in within ourselves. It can get stagnant. There can be not enough of it. There can be too much in one place, not enough in another. Um, the same thing happens in nature, right? If we look at a plant that's sick, right? There's deficiency or maybe there's um, excess somewhere in the plant as well. Like it's all this imbalance of where the chi or the prana is flowing. And so if we can get acupuncture, this helps to increase circulation in the body. This helps to increase endorphins and really increases the flow, right? When we're meditating, we are de-exciting the physiology, our metabolism's decreasing, our heart rate's decreasing, our oxygen, everything. We're really going into this de-excited state so that our body can start to heal and balance itself and get rid of this excess stress that's kind of burdening the prana, right? Um, we're also balancing the brain chemistry within meditation. We're getting more dopamine, more oxytocin, more endorphins, GABA, all of these things, and cortisol is decreasing. And so we could say that this balancing of the brain and body chemistry is also a balancing of prana or flow within the body. And so it's just different names for the same idea. And I think when we were in high school or middle school and we got the anatomy lesson, I think we kind of missed out on the energy medicine, right? We didn't get that blueprint. We weren't taught about this, even though it's very much a real thing and very much something that we're all experiencing. So I would love to maybe come up with some sort of curriculum one day where we get one day of talking about the meridians in the body and how certain breath work or meditation or acupuncture practices can help to keep this chi and prana and life force within us flowing and really keeping us healthy. Um, because I think then people wouldn't question it, right? Or think it's woo-woo or not real when it's, it's a very real thing. Yeah, it all comes down to our energy and how we manage it and how it flows through us in order for us to to really heal and express ourselves authentically. Rachel, it's been awesome having you on. We have one last question, but before I ask you it, if people want to learn more about you and your work, what's the best way for them to go ahead and do that? So on Instagram, you can find me at Namaha Wellness. So that's N-A-M-A-H-A wellness. You can also find me at Boulder Meditation Center, which is my mountain A-frame home um, in Boulder that I'm teaching out of. So I also have an Instagram for that. And then my website is namahawellness.com and lots of information on there about how we can connect. Awesome. All of Rachel's information will be located in today's show notes. Everyone make sure to check out her website and her social media accounts. And before I ask you the last question, Rachel, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge and recognize you today for holding yourself accountable and having the conscious awareness to take your healing journey into your own hands instead of continuing on a path that wasn't in alignment for your mind and your body, and then exploring different avenues and paths for healing and growth, and then really stepping into that and using your knowledge and experience to also pass that on to other people. So I wanted to acknowledge you for that today. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for doing what you're doing and asking these really potent questions. Our last question for you, 
If you had one piece of advice to give to people who are seeking to heal and grow on their spiritual journey, what would it be? I would say to follow the charm. So this is something that we say within the Vedic worldview. And what it means is when you have that ping, that intuitive ping to do something for your well-being or for your health or your wellness, to follow that and don't put it off. Don't delay it or come up with a pros and cons list of why you should or shouldn't do it. Just listen to it and take action and see where it takes you. And just know that if you leap into something and it's not the right fit, you can always leap again. There's no last chances. And so I think, um, yeah, just go for it and know that you deserve the best and just to keep seeking whatever it is that you're looking for and that it is out there. Um, yeah. And I think just to keep having conversations like this with people around you in your community and connecting about these things that we're all going through to know that you're not alone and to feel inspired by other people's stories. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Chasing Presence podcast. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word by telling your family and friends and by sharing it on social media. You can also show us your support by leaving a review. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is in the show notes. Please send us a message as we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. As always, thanks again for listening. Stay present and have a great day.